It is a Hoosier Wine kickoff today. A little bit of an echo in there. Echo, echo, echo. Well, we, um, yeah. People online are going to think I'm speaking to a, an arena of people. That'd be kind of cool. We um, had a plan to register for new Bible studies. So if you remember that plan, that was a plan that was contingent upon no problems with the coronavirus and no outages because of snow. So you might not be aware of this, but we have had a continued issues with coronavirus <laughs> and we have had issues with the uh, weather. And so because it was a timing thing that worked out with the quarter, uh, we are postponing the start of some new classes and registering for classes until June. That gives us a little bit of time because it's a start a new quarter in March. So everything that is right now with Sunday School, as it is happening, just continues on exactly as it always has. So you, I don't want to discourage you from joining a Sunday School class that we already have, but we did have some new Bible studies that we were going to create. And we still can create some through the time, but it won't be. Uh, but our launch for that Bible study initiative is now postponed till June. So um, so just that other way. The Who's Your One campaign, and when you say it quickly, where I come from, everybody assumes you are saying that people from Indiana are number one. Um, think about it for just a second. But it's who's your one. <laughs> and uh, the idea is, is that every body, think of one person who you want to pray for their salvation. And then look for the opportunity to share the gospel. And it doesn't have to be you that shares the gospel. But it's you who's moving, finding somebody to share the gospel. Or finding a way to communicate the gospel to them. But just focusing on that one person who you know needs to know Jesus Christ. And making that the focal point of your year. The um, We have these cards. There are some in the back. I'll put some. There will be some up here today. During the invitation. And on the back there is a 30 day um like prayer campaign of reading through the scriptures and so forth and, and so forth. The, you write the name of the person who is your one and you tear off this part of the card, this part, and you and throughout this month or throughout the next several weeks, we will, uh, when you have that name, at some point, you can do it during the sermon. It wouldn't bother me. Uh, but at some point, usually at the end of the service during the invitation, you come and lay those up here. You can put them in the offering boxes. I'll still get them. But the idea is that we want you to, at some point to come and lay that name up here. Now, I don't expect you to, you don't have to do it today. You can take time to think about who you want that one to be. It can be the same one you gave last time. Let me remind you of what happened last time we did this. It's been almost a year ago. And we went through this campaign. And we got a whole stack of cards this much. And we put them in a binder for people to pray for those people to be saved and the last week of that campaign, we didn't meet because the coronavirus broke out and they shut our services down. And so for several weeks, we didn't come together and meet. And by the time we did come back together, uh, we were past Easter. And we were, we were uh, it was, a, I mean, just think, it's been almost a year since all this came. We didn't come back together until Mother's Day. 
And and so we moved on. We kept encouraging people. I, I, I an exciting thing for me. You may not realize this, but on the day we came back, the first day we came back, we baptized my grandson, who was my one. And so the so when we started this campaign, I wrote his name on a card, I laid it on the altar like what everybody else did, and prayed for his salvation. And by the time we came back. He, uh, he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Uh, we also had two others, I know, I know two others, maybe three, who also had uh, their one who got saved through that. Now, that's exciting to me because, that, I mean, just think about it. That's, that's three people, three more people that uh, were added into the kingdom. And, I, and I'm, I'm pretty sure there were more. But uh, we will have that. There's a prayer room upstairs in the balcony up there and the thing. And there's one down here, or kind of a, it's not really a prayer room, but there's a prayer room upstairs, and that's where we keep it. And there's an elevator that goes up there, you get off the elevator, it's right, if you come, get off the elevator, it's to your right. If you're up in the balcony, it's just through those doors to your left. And we will put that, we will add these names to it. Like I said, if you already put that name on there, and you've already used it, and you want to keep praying for that person, awesome. Um, but if uh, you would do this for us, if your person has made a commitment of faith, or if God has taken them home, those are the only two ways we take them out of that book. Uh, if they make the profession of faith or God takes them home. And if either of those things happen, you can come let us know and we'll take that name out of the book. But uh, the, um, but otherwise, that's what we're doing. You'll grab one of these. Again, write the name of the person you're praying for. People ask me, can I put a code? I don't want to put their name down. And this is just my encouragement to you. I don't know why you wouldn't put their full name down. And if you're afraid that they're going to come to our church and open up the prayer book and find their name in it, <laughs> that's probably not going to happen unless something good has happened. But here's the, the thing. They need to know. They need to know that you think they're lost. At some point, that's going to have to be made known. I mean, why would you not tell somebody? I mean, even if you struggle to tell, share the gospel with somebody, at some point... You want to have a conversation where you at least communicate to them, I'm not sure that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. And here's why I think that, according to the Bible. And then it gives you an opportunity to share the good news. Now, could they be upset over that? Absolutely they could be upset over it. Could they be mad at you over that? It's a possibility. Most people aren't. Just for the record, most people don't get upset. But some people do. Could, they, could it affect the way you relate to each other in the future? Absolutely, it could do that. But let me, let me just say, that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus shared the truth with people, and it affected his relationship with people, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We do the same thing he did. And, uh, and I, I have these little life conversation guys, three circles is what it is, and it's, and it's just a nice little walkthrough uh, using three circles, you can either use the booklet or you can learn how to do this. You can use the booklet and memorize it, uh, and you can draw it on a napkin. Uh, so it's pretty easy, just using three circles to try to show somebody how they can have eternal life. And these books and these cards are on that table in the very back. Larry White is guarding them back there so that nobody takes them uh, for the wrong – no, I'm kidding. Uh, but he's sitting beside the table. Uh, and uh, and also we'll have them up here at the end of service. So if you want to come here, they'll be later – I'll just let them right here right now. So if for some reason, here are books on that side and books on that side and things on that side. And if you're watching online, 
you can either uh, email us and we will send you these resources or you can come by the church office during the week and we will give them to you. So, uh, but again, somebody asked me before, can I take two of them? Absolutely not. You cannot pray for two people to be saved. It's not possible. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, you can take two. Uh, uh, the idea is is to focus upon one. But uh, if, if you if you have two people that are absolutely burdening your heart and you want to keep two people on your prayer list to be praying for and looking for the opportunity to share the gospel, by all means, you can do who's your two. <laughs> but uh, but this the idea is that most of us. Don't think about it. Most of us are not thinking about people who are lost. Most of us do not share the gospel even one time over the course of a year. And I've shared with you before uh, that uh, it has been uh, my problem uh, for years in pastoral ministry. I really struggle. I could give an invitation from here, but to actually meet up with somebody and have a one-on-one conversation where I shared the gospel was an incredible struggle for me. I took uh, evangelism six times. In, in, in school, not six times, three times. Yeah, three times. I took another course six times. But anyway, that was biblical counseling, but that's another story. Three times I took evangelism. And the, here's where I got the six. Because the requirement in evangelism class was you had to share the gospel six times over the course of the semester. And so just to make me do it, I'd, I'd take the class again because I knew it was part of the class to have to share the gospel six times. It is neat because the last time I took it, uh, my professor was Paul Chitwood, who's now the uh, president of the International Mission Board, and we formed a friendship uh, through that class, and uh, and so it was, and and taught me a lot about evangelism. So uh, it was, uh, and meeting people like Paul, and now the Todd Gray, who's the president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, who was our evangelism director for a while, was just a passionate guy who would go door to door, and I remember calling him up and saying, "Hey, this is something I struggle with. Would you come and help me?" And he says, "Absolutely." So he drives down from the convention, and we walk through our community. And go door to door sharing the gospel with people. And, but that's what it takes. It takes the recognition that it's not something easy for you. And just saying, hey, but I'm going to overcome that. Because I want to find a way to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's why today's first message of this series is called Breaking Through Barriers. Breaking Through Barriers. We're going to look at three real, bar- three real barriers that keep us from sharing the gospel. And we're going to talk about how to turn those obstacles into opportunities. Because there are a lot of things that hinder us from sharing the gospel. We're going to look at how to take the things that hinder us from sharing the gospel and create opportunities to share the gospel. I remember, and I've shared this before, I was pastor at a church one time and they hated when I preached or talked or we spoke about evangelism. That sounds crazy. And I just hope you don't fall in this class of people. But I've discovered this pastoring over the years. There are just some people who don't want to hear about evangelism. I know that sounds bizarre. I hope that's not you. But if it is you, let me just speak to you this way. The only thing we can take out of this world, the only thing we can take out of this world, are other people. The only reason we're here, still here, is to bring glory to Christ by fulfilling His commission of finishing the work that He started, which was sharing the gospel with people discipling, helping them to become disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. There is no way to begin the discipleship, the beginning of the beginning of the discipleship process is evangelism. It is that introduction to Christ and helping people, getting people excited about following him and then t- 
teaching them that. And, and everything we do as a church is our mission. That whole, the whole live, learn, love, and lead idea is about evangelism to discipleship to more evangelism. We're going to look in John chapter 4, one of my favorite stories. I say that a lot. I have a lot of favorite stories in the Bible. But this is one that I, I love doing this campaign, if for another reason, to go through this because it is just an amazing example of God's grace and him and Jesus taking an opportunity to witness in an incredible moment. And he's going to solve a lot of our problems for us here. So before we look at the scripture, let's take a moment to pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for how great you are and the amazing grace that you show to us each and every day. Father, thank you. Somebody, somewhere, at some time, took time to share the gospel with us. Father, it may have been a preacher, it may have been a Sunday school teacher, it could have been a family member, it could have been somebody we heard on TV, it could have been a Gideon Bible, or some, somehow, some way, through the effort of people that you entrusted with this truth, Lord, the gospel got communicated to us. So did you say, how can they hear without a preacher? How can they... How can they hear if somebody doesn't go and share? And Lord, it is true. You could use animals. You could use the elements. You could send angels to communicate the gospel. But you and your sovereignty and your grace, you chose to use us to carry out your will. Your disciples. So, Lord, may we be your faithful disciples and may we do the mission that you've called us to do. And, Father, may you show us how to do it. But we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three things we're going to look at as we look at the story of Jesus in his encounter with this woman from Samaria. He's on his way to Samaria, and, uh, and we'll read through the text here in a second. But the idea is this. The journey to Samaria is one that you have to go... Uh, Around, They didn't like the journey to Galilee. Jesus was in Galilee. Galilee's up here, and the main part of Judea is down here. Jerusalem's down here. Think of it like that. Jerusalem's down here. Galilee's up here. And in between, you have the old northern kingdom, which is became Samaria. And when the tribes split back in the time of Sol- after Solomon died, and his son Rehoboam took the throne, and the kingdom split, from that point forward, these two groups of people did not like each other. And so to avoid, uh, since Galilee was still part of Judea and the, and the Jewish people lived up here where Jesus was born, to avoid going through Samaria, they would take this really long route. Well, in this particular time, Jesus took the shortcut. And it's always because he has a reason. He has a reason for going. And he has this encounter with this woman from Samaria, and, and that's what we're going to read about in a second. But, but the first thing, first obstacle I want to talk about is just being worn out. Worn out. Jesus, when he gets there, he's tired. And I I can, I don't know where you are, but if you don't read, if you haven't read about somebody being tired as a result of pandemic, then you're not reading anything. Because there are plenty of people, you're not having conversations with people, because there are plenty of people who are talking about how worn out they are as a result of the pandemic, as a result of all the conflict in our country, as a result of now winter weather, who saw that coming? We we did. Uh, we knew it would come. Surely, <laughs> we first moved here. We had snow. 
You gave us a year off last year to start the pandemic. And uh, so thank you for that. And then now snow is back. Um, I probably would not have bought a house with a long driveway up a hill had I known what was going to happen. The, um, but being worn out is when you have something that just lingers and lingers and lingers is not new. It may be new for some people who've not been through any, I mean, pandemic may have introduced that into your life. You never had it before, but anybody who's had to care for a loved one, anyone who's had a child with a disability, anyone who's done foster care, anyone who's been a parent, anyone who has uh, gone through struggles at work or had a tedious boss or been put in a position on, a, on an assembly line that you hated and, and had a job that you didn't like and, or didn't have a job and were looking for a job. And, and there are so many uh, relationship issues and health issues and mental issues that create just a weariness of our physical bodies, of our spiritual lives, of our emotions, where we're just worn out. Even Jesus got tired. Even Jesus had to stop and take breaks. Jesus would try to get away from the crowds just to have a moment alone. So being worn out is just part of being human. I have a a friend that uh, we just buried not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. And his name is Leroy, and Leroy's 86, and um, a long, amazing life. But man, he was a worker. I he could work any human being I've ever met under the table, and he was the kind of guy that would just never retire and never quit and just keep going. I mean, he had one eye, and that's kind of how you would recognize him. He had one eye. It's funny, the pastor took my place there, didn't realize he only had one eye, uh, but uh, I, I, he would he would always like to drive, and it's rough driving with an 85-year-old deacon who's blind in one eye and can't see out of the other. Uh, that was a, Those were some faith trips, let me just tell you. But he'd want to drive because his good eye was his right one, and well, seemingly good eye. And so he, that way he could see you in his peripheral vision. Otherwise, he, And it's like, Leroy, don't look at me, man, uh, while you're driving. Just you focus. But he, had, he was working, and he stabbed him. The, a screwdriver came back and st- impaled his eye. And he took it out and then got himself to the hospital. Uh, the, uh, uh, that's the kind of guy he was. Uh, he was uh, I remember he was a youth leader up until in his 60s. He was a youth leader. And he told me, he said, yeah, the kids are always wanting to run because he was a runner. He says, the kids are always wanting to race me, think they can beat me. And he said, finally, they started beating me. I just had to stop running with them anymore. I said, well, when was that? And he says, ah, I think it was 63, 64. Uh, so that's the kind of guy he was. But the thing that was amazing about him is that when he was in the, when if he was sick, if he was worn out, if he was he had a really bad leg, and so he'd walk until he couldn't walk anymore, and he'd have to stop. But when he would stop, he would engage whoever was around him into a conversation, and he knew that conversation at some point was going to wind up talking about Jesus. He was going to. Try to figure out if that person was going to be in eternity or not. And he was going to share how much he loved the Lord. That was what he would do with his downtime. And I always remember that. I remember thinking, wow, he's a man who takes advantage of every circumstance he's in. He had cancer three times. He had prostate cancer, 
lung cancer and um, pancreatic cancer. And died still having pancreatic cancer, but his heart gave out. But he would take those treatments. If he had to have treatments or if he had to be down in the hospital or whatever the case, whoever had to come around him, he took advantage of those moments. And I thought, you know, that's, that's something we all could learn from. Because sometimes we use barriers of I just don't feel good. I just don't feel like getting out. I just don't feel like doing anything. Well, just if we would just use those moments. Jesus gives us a great example here in this story. Look, look in, in, in John chapter 4, verse 1. It says, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. So here, the obstacle is, is that he's, he's, he's under political pressure. He's under pressure from crowds gathering around and so forth and just all types of conflicts. So that's one reason he has not to share the gospel, but he, he's moving on to a, has to move on to a different place. Says so he had to travel through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. So here is the circumstance. Jesus is on a journey. He has to do something he doesn't necessarily want to do, but he has to do because of the circumstances he's in. I'm just trying to help us put ourselves in that. If you've ever been in a situation where you had to move, or you had to change jobs, or you had to go to a different place, or your schedule got messed up and something frustrated you, created anxiety or whatever. Not saying Jesus was doing suffering from those things because he didn't, but those things happened to us. He was displaced because of circumstances. Has to make a trip. And he's, it does tell us this, he's worn out. And here's what I say when I'm worn out. I just don't feel like dealing with people. And so he's sitting at the well. Disciples have gone in to find food. We find that out later. And a woman is coming to the well. But Jesus doesn't look at that as being a horrible scenario. And oh my goodness, here comes this woman. She's going to mess up my, you know, from Samaria. And we all know how the Jew-Samaria thing works. And, and yet here we are. What do I do? Well, of course he knows what to do. He's giving us an example of what to do. This is not typically what we do, but it's what our Lord did. And this is an example of turning an obstacle into an opportunity. Number one, when life forces you to slow down or stop, watch for who God brings into your sphere. When God, when, when God allows things to come into your life that make you slow down or stop, look and see who is in my view. It could be a nurse. It could be a waiter. It could be somebody at a park. It could be somebody else who's broken down. When your car's broken down on the side of the road and you're all frustrated and exasperated, it could be the person who stops. It could be anybody. But our, when things happen in our life and we are not able to keep going, sometimes God is allowing us to slow down or doing things because we wouldn't slow down otherwise. I say that, I say that to myself. I say it to people all the time. They say, why is this happening to me? And I say, because if it wasn't happening to you, you would never go the direction you're going right now. 
You would never be where you are right now if this wasn't happening. Because this is happening, whatever this is, you're going to make decisions and turn right instead of left. You're going to go slow instead of fast. You're going you're gonna to lay there instead of get up and get out. Whatever the case, you're where you are by the engineering of God. And now he's got somebody in your sphere. Who is it? And why are they there? Who is it and why are they there? Just be paying attention. So taking, taking advantage of those moments, because we're in pain a lot, and we have difficult circumstances a lot, and if we miss those opportunities, if we, if we think in our minds, when I get all my life straight and everything is good and smooth sailing, then I'll start sharing the gospel. You'll never share the gospel. I don't know, when I was in school, I, you know, I don't know if you're one of those people, and you, I'm a procrastinator by nature, and I would be uh, getting ready to take, write a term paper. You ever do that? And it's like, I'm going to write term paper, so I don't like these pencils. So I'm going to get me the right kind of pencils. So I go get the right kind of pencils. Oh, they're not sharp the way I like them to be sharp. So then you spend yourself like 25 minutes, 30 minutes sharpening pencils, getting them exactly the way you want, and then lined up on the paper. And I, oh, this is the wrong kind of lines of paper or whatever. I want a different kind of paper or whatever. And this is, if I get the room this temperature and I get this sun, this, oh, now the sun's coming that way. And they're changing all these different things. And I'm just avoiding doing the thing I need to be doing. And that's what we do with witnessing a lot of times. We just come up with excuses. We come up with reasons why we don't share. Why we? Why, because I feel bad or hurt or I'm tired or I'm worn out. But when, if you'll just take a moment and recognize that me being worn out has resulted in me being still for a moment. And now here's this person. Could be a grandchild. Could be a child. Could be somebody calls on the phone. Could be something... And we either can say, that's an opportunity, or we can say, that's an interruption. And if we want to be gospel-focused people, if we want to break through barriers and be on mission for God, we've got to say, that's an opportunity. A second thing that's going to go wrong is, uh, I, there, there's this thing called irreconcilable differences. I remember hearing it in a movie or a TV show that was on, and it was about a show about divorce or whatever, and it was that the people... Uh, that were getting divorced, were getting divorced, not because nobody had cheated on anybody, nobody had uh, done anything morally wrong. They just had irreconcilable differences. And I thought about that. I thought that's that's true in a lot of relationships. A lot of times we get to a point with people, church members get to a point. Definitely we get to this point with people in the world. We get to a place, I mean Democrats and Republicans get to this place for sure. Up to a place where we're just like, oh, we just can't, we can't come together. We have irreconcilable differences. And we use that as a, an excuse to say, I can't work with them or I can't deal with them. And it's been different things over the course of history. We I mean, don't have to go very deep into the past to see that color of skin created irreconcilable differences. Ethnic origin created irreconcilable differences. Religion created irreconcilable differences. Sometimes gender created irreconcilable differences. We, we can always find differences that we say, there is no way I can reconcile with this person because they are different than I am. But if we're actually going to move forward in being people who share the gospel, we have to have reconcilable differences. I, I was thinking about this, about the vaccine, and about how we have two groups of people. People who will take it and people who won't. 
And I, I hope we're not having wars in the street over that, or the people who take it hate the people who do take it. I don't think that's happening. But I do think there are people, I think there are people who are upset about being forced to take it, don't want to be forced to take it, and there are people who think we should force people to take it. And so that's create that creates conflict, doesn't it? But here's the thing. Aren't we kind of grateful that there is a vaccine for people who want to take it? I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad there's a va- I'm glad there is a vaccine. I think the worst scenario is we couldn't come up with a vaccine. And we just had to prolong this forever. Instead, if we can find a way to bring people peace of mind and protect people from dying and whatever, and we have that, uh, because really what it comes down to, it's not the vaccine. It's not that we have this this thing that vaccines are just a, a morally, moral evil in our world. We just don't trust the vaccine. If you absolutely believe the vaccine would work, to not take the vaccine, that's just kind of crazy. I mean, really, that's just crazy. To say, I have a cure for something, and you'll never get sick from this, and this will protect you with no side effects whatsoever, and no harm to you whatsoever, and you absolutely believe that, and still didn't do it, well, that's just kind of weird. Because it really comes down to trust. Because that's what we offer with the gospel, isn't it? We offer eternal life to people. And for people to go... Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe he really did die on a cross, die die for my sins. I believe he gives a better life. I believe heaven is a real place. I believe the only way I can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. I believe all those things. I just don't want it. I want to suffer for an eternity in hell. That's what I desire. That's just weird. But that's not what happens, is it? They just don't trust Jesus. They don't trust the gospel. And that's the difference. But we can at least recognize we are all the same. Or at least most of us. I know there's that fruitcake out there, okay? Just that oddball. Let's not use them. They're the, they're the outlier who doesn't want a good life, whoever that is. But the, what bonds us together is we do want salvation. We do want a good life. We're just not sure what gives us that. We're not sure if we trust the things that are being said. Look in this 7b here. Jesus starts a conversation. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. This is really an odd thing because here you have a Jewish man asking something of a Samaritan woman. It's improper for men to have this conversation, much less a Jewish man having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. How is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now, notice he flipped that around. If you knew who was asking you for a drink of your regular water, you would ask me for something even greater than what I'm asking you. She said, sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? She's trying to put him in his place. He gave us the the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. This always always reminds me of people who are proud of their community and proud of where where they grow up. Do you know where you are? In Dundee, where I grew up, we had a goat on top of Masonic Lodge. We have a sign that says, Dundee, home of the goat, when you enter our little town of less than 200 people. We are proud of our goat. 
and we we talk, that's all we got. That's, you, just, you, you do what you got, right? You just, whatever you got, whatever you can throw out there, that's your deal, and so forth. And this, she's, they have Jacob's well. She's, you know, this is, who are you? I mean, this is, an, this is our well, and, and who do you think you are, and that kind of thing. And then Jesus says, so she's like building it up. I, Jackson likes their football team. I think that's their thing. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. This is like somebody coming into our town and saying, you think your football team is good? I've got a football team that never loses, can't be beaten, and will always win. You know, what? I don't think so. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. She's like, well, produce the goods, boy. And then he flips it around. He says, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You've said, you've correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, now he's gotten personal. He's flipped it around. This is like looking at somebody and saying, yeah, you think you got your act together, but you don't, do you? You don't have your act together. Your life isn't as together as you think it is. As strangers, we can pretend. But now, I know you. I know you, and I know what's going on inside your head. I know what's going on inside your heart. I know what's going on inside your life. And when somebody does that, well, it can either make us really angry or just really ashamed. And she says, Sir, the woman replied, I see you are a prophet. She's like, I, I get it. You know stuff. You got me. I'm not who I'm not a good person. And you probably are. And then she, so she flips it around. But I have a different religion, basically, is what she's gonna say. She's saying, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. She's saying we're different. Look, we worship here, you worship there. And no matter how bad a person thinks they are, if they can say, well, you're just different. You know, I've met, when you meet somebody and they've got, they're to- totally morally irresponsible and, and their lives are all in shambles or whatever, if, if they find out you're Methodist, then they'll say, or if they say, find out you're Baptist, they say, well, I'm a Methodist. So that excuses everything I do wrong. And now, because you're Baptist and so we don't have anything in common, so the conversation's over. But Jesus doesn't let her out that easily. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming. You will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. Here's turning obstacles to opportunities number two. Recognize what separates us, but bring the conversation to the salvation we all need. Recognize, yes, you're right, we are different. That's right, you're Methodist, I'm Baptist. Yeah, absolutely, you come from this, or you're Muslim, and I'm Christian, or whatever. Whatever backgrounds we come from, you're from this country, I'm from this country, you're this color, I'm this color, whatever. But hey, we all need salvation. We're all looking for hope. We all need to know what's going to happen to us when we die. There's no difference in that. My blood bleeds red just like yours. And someday my life's going to end just like yours. 
And I want to know where I'm going to be for all eternity, just like you. The last thing I just took from a movie, Dazed and Confused. I just, I've never seen this movie, but I have been dazed and confused. It's actually a movie, I had to look it up. It's a movie about the end of the 1976 school year in a small town in Texas. But I think it's actually more like where we are now. I think it's more like the state of people when they come out of a pandemic or, or quarantine. Is it, if, you've ever, if you've been in quarantine during this period of time and separated from everybody, if you've had to do that, when you get done, is it is not dazed and confused just a, a very appropriate uh, description of like what happened in the world for the 10 days or 14 days I was away? And when I look at the world, I see a world filled with people who are just confused, who are just like, I have no idea what's going on. And they're talking, but they're just rambling. Is it like people who don't know the answers to any of the questions. And they think if we talk louder, faster, and, and more frequently, that somehow then it will make sense, but it doesn't. It's just the same confusion over and over and over and over and over again. If there's one thing that has been consistent throughout all of this, is people have had no idea what's going on. People are grasping for what do we do with this and how do we do this and how do we handle this. We get, you know, we get into some routines of life where we trusted people and so forth and this is what you always do for a cold and this is what you always do when this happens and this is what you always do when this happens. And some people will buck that system, but more than, more than, more than not, we've trusted in those stable voices in our lives until we got to something that nobody had gone through before. And we didn't have those stable voices to speak into our lives. Or so we thought. But let me remind you, we are supposed to be the stable voice. We have the same message of hope that we've been giving for 2,000 years, and the coronavirus didn't change it. If there was any group of people who should have been prepared for this, it should have been us. Look what Jesus says in verse 23. He says, But an hour is coming, and now is and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Notice he says an hour is coming and is now here. He's not talking about the second coming. He says an hour is coming, it's here. And that was 2,000 years ago. So if it was here 2,000 years ago, it's here now. He says when the true worshipers who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Isn't that how we all say it? I know. I know that. That's what everybody tells us. I know that. I know this is, the, I know this is what, how the world works and what's supposed to happen. My, my grandson, who's I love him, he's eight years old, and you try to say... You know, hey, here's how you do it. He said, I, I know how to do it. I know how to do it. Don't tell me how to do it. I know how to do it. And I thought, oh my goodness, he's so much like everybody. We don't, we don't want somebody to tell us. We want to, we want to say, I know it. I know it. I, I got it. I've, I've figured, I, I've, I've already, I know everything you're going to tell me. Until Jesus said this. Jesus told her, 
I, the one speaking to you, am He. When people are disoriented because of the chaos of this world, share with them the clarity of Christ. It's like, People are like, yeah, I know I need to eat better. I need, I need to exercise more. I need, I, I need to go back to school. I need to be more loving to my mom. I need to forgive these people. I need to take my medicine on a regular basis. I know all the things I'm supposed to do and I'm not doing. I should wear a mask. I shouldn't wear a mask. I should quarantine. I should quarantine. All these. I need to take the vaccine. Not take the vaccine. All these. We're like, I know. I get it because we're listening to all these voices. And, the, and the, our message is this. It's like, no, 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 no. Listen to me. This is about what you need to do. This is about what Jesus has done. You just need to know Jesus. And when you know Jesus, well, then diseases don't matter anymore. I mean, seriously. What can happen to a person who's been saved by God, forgiven of their sins, granted eternal life, promised an eternal body, promised he will be resurrected from the dead if anything should happen to me. I mean, not only does the coronavirus not affect me, a semi-truck coming at me at 100 miles an hour and me tied up laying in the lane waiting for it to hit me doesn't affect me. People who threaten to tie me up and burn me with oil doesn't affect me. Because whatever you do to me, He's just going to bring me back and give me a new body and I get to live forever. That's the good news. That's what people need to hear. Don't you want something? Don't you want to know something? Don't you want to have, want you to taste something, drink something, eat something that will last forever? Don't you want to know this Jesus who's going to make you immune, not just from a virus, a virus, not to mention whatever billion viruses people come up with in the future, but he's going to make you immune from death. That's what the gospel is. That's what we're offering to people. It's good news. It's what Jesus was offering. Jesus is being executed upon the cross. And he looks at the guy at the cross next to him. And he says, hey, got some good news for you. How do you have good news when you're being executed in front of everybody? Well, the good news is, is when we get off, when we get off this cross with our dead bodies taken down, when they take our dead, lifeless bodies off this cross, I'm going to come back to life and I'm going to bring you back to life and I'm going to remember you and I'm going to keep you with me forever. I'm going to take care of you forever. I'm going to give you life back. I'm going to provide for you and look after you for all eternity. Well, that's pretty good news, isn't it? If you're being executed. Friends, that's the good news we have to share with everybody on this planet. Everybody. No matter where they come from, no matter who they are. So here's let me ask you. Would you pray today? Would you pray? Just pray for the opportunity. Think of, say, God, give me, give me somebody who needs that good news. Give me somebody who needs the good news that you said that if we trust in you, we will never die. We will never die. You'll take away the sting of death. That we'll live forever. Who needs to know that good news? 
give me a name. I'm going to ask because we have this invitation that you'll come and pray for that one. If you need to come take a card and write their name on it, you can go home and pray about it or whatever. But if you think of their name today and you want to write it down, just leave the name, the little card with the name on it, leave it on the altar. Take the prayer thing, the little bookmark, take that with you with the name on it. So you remember, you shouldn't forget, but you know how we are. But leave the card with the name on it on the altar and then we'll collect those and we'll put those in our prayer book and we'll continue to pray for those people. We'll pray with you that those people will be saved. That those people will have eternal life. That those people will realize that Jesus is the answer. The same answer he was to that woman in Samaria 2,000 years ago. Same answer today. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for how great and amazing you are. Thank you for the amazing good news of Jesus Christ. That you left the comfort of heaven. That you came down to this God-forsaken world filled with chaos. Filled with people with all types of ideas about how to fix their lives. All of them wrong. And Lord, you, you came and shared a message of hope. You came, shared with us a message of good news that even though we could not save ourselves, that you would save us through your death, burial, resurrection. And you ascended into heaven. You are at the right hand of the Father today. All authority has been given to you. The keys, the power of life and death is in your hands. God, may we be committed to share your good news. Lord, if there's anybody here who's not embraced you as their Lord and Savior today, Lord, you, they're the one, they're your one today. They're the one you are trying to reach today. Lord, may they see that. And may they come and put their trust in you. May they... May not be foolish and give up the opportunity for eternal life. This all comes down to trust. Do we trust you? And Lord, I pray that you would give them the faith to trust you today. But for the rest of us who have put our trust in you, may you put a name in our hearts, in our minds, right now, through your Holy Spirit. And may we commit to pray for that one. May we commit to look for an opportunity to share the gospel with that one. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me as we have a time of invitation. Just want to give you a moment. Take a moment. If you've thought of somebody, there's cards back there, cards up here. You can do it after service. You can do it now. But if you've thought, if you know somebody on your heart right now that you know is lost, I'm just going to ask you to come and pray for them. Pray that they won't die before the service is over. Pray that they won't die before you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Pray that God will give you the opportunity to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to them, to share your story.